Hey guys, welcome to Rihanna's Lens, where I interact with you about the components in the STEM field and introduce you to fascinating people who passionately inhabit the scientific and technical frontiers of our society. My name is Rihanna Malhotra and I'm absolutely elated to share this podcast with all of you. On this episode, I'm joined by a guest who's currently doing her PhD on breast cancer in Melbourne. She began her journey by doing a bachelor's course in biochemical engineering and then proceeded to do her master's in tissue engineering to focus on breast cancer. Her forte is mainly cancer genetics and immunology. She also runs a social enterprise that is focused on promoting science for young kids. I'm so glad to welcome and introduce Shalini Gul. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to begin our discussion. Thank you for having me. So I have a lot of questions in mind about whatever you do and um I know that breast cancer awareness is really important and so is research. So I want to begin by asking you what exactly does a day in your life as a cancer researcher look like? Yeah. So that's a really good question. Um as a researcher, I think as any researcher, our days are quite varied. Um some days are filled with meetings and others are just highly in the lab. Um for me, it's it's a good mixture um of heaps of meetings where we discuss a lot of projects with our supervisors and like make the plan for the week and then we go ahead and do as our plan says so a lot of my time is spent in the lab um one week would be in the lab and then whatever data i collect from my experiments i spend another week to analyze the data and make sense of it so then we can make more plans for further experiments um so it's it's quite busy our days could be um as easy as like 8 hours shifts that which is the normal shift or we can have days where we work 12 to 13 hours um so yeah it can be really hectic and really slow at the same time but it's a, it's a good balance um i find right i'm sure it must be uh, really hectic especially when you're in this search so like you have to make sure everything's on point right yeah yeah so, yeah so yeah you do need to make sure that whatever you're working on you give it your 100% attention because there's no room for error um because we work with really valuable samples it's really hard to get them again so yeah right 100% um and you also started off your journey by doing a uh, biochemical engineering so um what exactly is it and did your degree there help you now in uh, cancer research Yeah so my career journey has been quite a roller coaster um it's not because i didn't know what i wanted to do it's mostly i just found my passion through my degree so um when i was in high school i was really in, really interested in medicine um and then i decided not to do medicine at the last um moment for some reason i actually don't remember the reason anymore a long time ago but um instead i decided to do um engineering So at that point I wasn't too sure what sort of engineering I should do. So my dad is an engineer, so he's a mechanical engineer. So I guess that sort of influenced me. Um I loved biology and chemistry and I thought biochemical engineering would be the best way for me. Um during my high school time I actually lost a really good friend of mine due to cancer. Um 
which sort of had the impact or my, which is my drive, I can say, for actually working in cancer research. Um, so when I went into a biochemical engineering, in my head, I thought I'm going into a degree where I will, um, you know, learn about um, genetics or genetic engineering or um, actual like bioengineering and things like that. However, I found out like when I started doing my uh, my uh, papers and stuff, I found that that wasn't the case. Um, so I did my engineering in New Zealand and biochemical engineering here, it's very industrial based. So more agriculture focused or food focused, whatever that um, gives New Zealand the upper hand in terms of their export. Um, so I did it regardless. Um, it did really help me. It does really help me now because I'm very tech savvy, I reckon, compared to other scientists in the lab. So um, I have that upper hand where I'm not really shy to, you know, work with new equipment or just trial it out or optimize it. And I'm pretty touch wood, pretty good at that, too. So I can um, optimize things quite quickly when compared to a scientist who's just done a science degree um, and you give them something to optimize. So they freak out. They're like, oh, my God, like, can you just do it for me? It's more like that. So I like the technology side of things. And I think that area has helped me a lot. Um, that's the biggest help um, that I, or the biggest thing that I take from my engineering and sort of source it to my cancer research. Right. And um, you mentioned that you were interested in uh, biology and chemistry. So that drove you to, to take uh, biochemical engineering. Um, so mm. the, uh, engineering helped you to explore the technological side. But mm. um, I want to ask why uh, biochemical engineering and why not biochemistry? What's the particular difference? Yeah, so biochemistry, um, I also did few biochemistry papers that come in biochemical engineering. So biochemistry is solely focused on the science aspect of things. So, you know, the structure of the proteins and enzymes and things like that. So it's more focused on that area. Whereas in biochemical engineering, we apply all those things and then we might not study them in that much depth, but we apply them to, you know, create industrial plants. So, you know, anything to do with pharmaceutical companies and milk production companies or wine production, anything that requires a process, which is, which involves chemicals and biology. So it's a, either it's a biological process or a chemical process. That's where a biochemical engineer fit, fits into. So I can do either or, um, you know, I can work at a nuclear plant and help design that because that has chemistry in it. Um, I can work in a biological plant where, you know, if you're fermenting milk and things like that, making cheese and all that stuff, I can work there. So it was a good split. Um, because I learned during my engineering, I had to do advanced organic chemistry. I had to do biochemistry. I also did um, biotech engineering. So like I had all these papers, definitely one paper, which was, wasn't enough. Um, but if you do biochemistry, your focus will be just in that stream. It's very sort of enclosed in that, you know, you would learn the depth of that. Whereas I got to learn a little bit of everything where, and when, and then use my engineering to build something bigger in terms of like industrial scale. Yeah, so that's the major difference. Right, and um, so biochemical engineering helps you to focus more on the chemical side of making things, but uh, what about biomedical engineering? What's the difference between that? Yeah, so biomedical is more focused on say, 
um, the human body. So anything, you know, in terms of making prosthetics and things like that. So it is still engineering and you still need to learn how to do, you know, the mechanical side of things and stuff. Um, but it's more to do with the human body. So the production of human body rather than making an industrial plant. Um, I think it's more specific to people rather than a process. So I'm a process engineer um, and biomedical would be to help, um, you know, with all the, even I think, I think biomedical engineers also develop all the new machinery and like the MRI scans and CAT scans and things like that. So they have a lot of involvement on that side as well. Okay. Um, so coming back to breast cancer, you uh, started that off by doing your master's in tissue engineering. So um, yes. why did you choose to particularly do uh, breast cancer and tissue engineering in your master's? Yeah. So tissue engineering was just uh, this project that I got for my master's was actually like a coincidence. Um, I was just reading through this book about tissue engineering. And at that time, when I did, did my master's, tissue engineering was something new that was coming out. A lot of um, universities and the labs were trying it. And I was just reading it. And one of my friends comes to me and she's like, oh, you're interested in tissue engineering. I'm like, yeah, I'm just doing a little small research project in my engineering. So I had a paper where you had to present something, some new thing. So I chose tissue engineering to present. And um, she told me that my university, actually the science department had a 3D bioprinter, which hasn't been used. So I was like, oh my God, like, why aren't they using it? It's, it's, it's amazing thing. It's amazing technology. And they're like, well, no one has been able to operate it or make it work. So it's been sitting there for a year and no one really from the science department sort of took the initiative to make it work. So I went to the supervisor, like my supervisor for my master's then, um, and I asked her, I was like, hey, can I, can I take this project as my master's? Because I'm finishing my um, engineering. And if it's either as a PhD or as a, as a master's. Um, so initially, I was going to go for a PhD. But because this project was so new, we had really limited funding. So we couldn't take it ahead as a PhD. So I was really keen to do it. And um, she said, let's do it. And she actually works on breast cancer. So she specializes in breast cancer. Her own research is on that. So then we just thought we'll just try with breast cancer. And going with breast cancer didn't have like a specific, I didn't have like a reason for it. It was just what it was given to me sort of thing. And I kind of fell in love with the whole thing. And um, as a woman, you know, like I started to look at the stats and everything. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, this affects a lot of women and, you know, Although there's so much research done on it, there's still so many deaths that happen because of this. Um, so yeah, um, from there I did that. And my master's project was a good mix of, you know, engineering where I got to work with a 3D bioprinter, optimize it and, you know, um, do the 3D prints and everything. But it was also a good mix of molecular biology that I learned side to side. So when I went into my master's, I had no idea how to do cell cultures or DNA extraction or RNA extraction, nothing. Like I was a blank slate when I went in. And then after a year of that, like, you know, I came out with the knowledge of doing cell cultures, understanding cancer biology and things. So it was a good mix. It was a huge learning curve, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So it must be your tech savvy instinct and to explore the, um, the need to explore more uh, technology that got you into tissue engineering and plus the mix of yeah, um, exactly. cancer genetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely.
So I know that uh, cancer cells generally uh, undergo mutation in the body. So um, can knowing the root cause of that mutation, how does that affect your cancer treatment? Yeah. Um, see, there's a lot of mutations that go on. Um, and the issue is uh, every patient is different. So I work in like the genetics lab and we focus on like the cancer genetics. And whenever we profile, you know, different patients with same cancer um, or similar type of um, breast cancer subtype, you see their genetic profiles are very different. Um, there will be some similarities, but overall it's quite different. Um, there are some targets that people have found that they can, um, in terms of some genes that they can either block um, and that can help to reduce the cancer progression. Um, but you can't say you can, you know, pinpoint the root cause of the disease because it's very variable from patient to patient. Um, I mean, we do mice, you know, mouse experiments and things like that. And mice, it's more reproducible. You can actually get a consistent result. Whereas in humans, it's just, it's not the same. Um, so yeah, I think majority of it is depending, it's dependent on how, you know, the cells are mutating. And that's what we're trying to find. Is there a pattern? Is there something that we can find that we can actually pinpoint and say, hey, let's, you know, if we target this 90% of the time, it's going to work. And it's just it's that efficiency that we're trying to achieve. Uh, do you think uh, cancer is still a disease that, that we're trying to tackle? It's not reached that point there where we are comfortable with it? I think we have reached a point that we are okay with it. It is still scary. Um, and every cancer is so different. So I can't talk about other cancers. I mean, you know, you can take gastric cancer or pancreatic cancer, really aggressive cancer types um, and with a very high mortality rate. So if you're stage four pancreatic, there's no way, you know, you will survive. Patients know that as a fact. Um I feel like a lot of people, a lot of people ask me this, that, oh, you're going to find the cure for cancer, you know, like um, a lot of general public don't know that scientists are actually not trying to find the cure. Like they have realized that there won't be any cure. And it is sad to say that because a lot of people say, yeah, there is going to be a cure, but personally, and also like, you know, talking to other students and my, my PIs and like, you know, other people, I don't think there will be a cure for cancer, but in future cancer will be a disease that we can just live with. You know, it can be something like a common cold. It can be that common that we can live with and live a good life with. So, and I think that's what the whole focus of cancer research is now is to provide treatments, to develop treatments that can actually give the patient a better life, a normal life, almost normal life um, that they can actually live with the disease not have to like suffer um but yeah yeah i think um that's a great idea also that um the person doesn't have to suffer through the entire process when they are suffering through uh, cancer exactly and um i know that you're also interested in immunology so can you briefly uh, briefly explain what exactly um, is it yeah so when I went into my PhD project, um, it was still very new to me. So I, like I said, I haven't studied science. So I had 
the knowledge of genetics that I had was just what I did in high school. Like it wasn't something, you know, I studied in university and I was really good at it. Um, and then my project sort of took, divide, got divided into two parts as we found some data and um, immunology was one of the biggest parts where it sort of split into. And immunology is basically looking at the immune system and immune system is a defense system of your body. So you can say it's an army in your body that is always ready to fight. If I put it in like simple terms. So anything that goes wrong in your body, you know, to even like as little as a sneeze or a cough, um, your immune system is alerted and they're ready to, you know, like what's causing this, let's fight it. So that's the whole role. And that's the study of immunology. So we just study these little, these all these soldiers or the immune cells that we have in that army. And just the study of that, those soldiers or the immune cells is called immunology. So that's what it is in just general terms. Uh, so in the future, would you want to combine uh, your interest for cancer and um, immunology to pursue uh, cancer immunology? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Um, so my project is highly immunology based. Um, we are trying to find targets and like some of, well, not targets, some immune cells um, that actually the cancer cells manipulate um, so that they work against the immune system. Um, so we're trying to find those immune cells then and find different genetic markers on those immune cells that we can block with drugs that are actually present in the market right now. And if, if, if we can block that, that means then we can actually, you know, slow the progression of cancer or slow the spread of the cancer. Um, so that's what my project is about, is to find um, specific immune cells um, that the cancer cells might be manipulating and then um, looking at different gene markers that they're expressing and trying to block their activity so the cancer cells can't use them further to mask themselves away from the immune system. So when you block Sorry. these, so when you block these gene uh, markers, is that what's involved in immunotherapy? Yes, exactly. So that's exactly what immunotherapy is. So when you hear immunotherapy, is basically um, targeting immune cells or some population of immune cells, and targeting a specific gene that either most of the times blocks or reduces their activity. So what happens in cancer is that cancer actually uh, manipulates the immune system and um, it uses some of the immune cells to actually hide away from the immune cells that are there to kill it. And if we can find some genetic markers on those immune cells, we can actually block them. So then the tumor cells or the, or the cancer cells are um, well, not masked anymore from our actual immune system. So it can actually go and um, destroy it. So that's the whole idea of um, using immunotherapy. Um, so apart from breast cancer research, are you interested in other um, aspects of research? Um, well, as a scientist, I guess you get interested in every research that you see. Um, you know, I read about like melanoma, brain cancers, lung cancers, because um, you can find so many different techniques that, you know, say someone in um, melanoma cancer research is using, which you can then apply into your own research, you know. And um, so we read 
a lot of papers that might not be even related to breast cancer. They're just related to other types of cancers. And then we use the technology or the techniques that they're using to then replicate into our system and see if it works or if it gives us the same results. You know, they might have found some genetic markers in melanoma that who knows might be possible that they're present in our breast tumors, you know, and then we can block that. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I read a lot. Um, I haven't been, which I'm guilty about because I'm on a holiday, so I'm not reading. But um, yeah, you read a lot and you read a lot about everything. And I'm also still interested in tech. So if anything new comes out in terms of the technology, I read about that. And, you know, if I want to apply that into my work, um, that's something I try to do as well. I think our body is so vast. So research interests can just come up. Um, yeah, like it's... it's yeah, it's so complicated, right? Like, it's just, um, like you said, it's so, it's just so massive. And it's just so much in there that we don't, we still don't know. Um, and we just keep on finding out. And it's just, yeah, it's crazy. So your interest never dies out, I guess. It's always there. Yeah, it's all so fascinating. So I would just want to um, end this interview by asking you, um, you have the social enterprise that called Science Box that focuses yeah. on promoting science for younger kids. So what exactly is your role there and uh, what is the main idea of that enterprise? Yeah, so I created Science Box two years ago. Um, and just the basic idea was that um, I actually, the idea came to me from kids, young kids. Um, and when I was working as an engineer, I got the opportunity to talk to some young kids, say, I think they were like eight to 10 year olds, um, just, just about science and just work with them for a bit. And um, the whole day I spent with them, I realized how much, how scared they were from science subjects or like just STEM subjects in general, um, especially girls. They thought that scientists could only be men. And I was like, that is not true. Um, you know, like, I'm a, I'm a female and I'm a scientist, um, but I'm also an engineer. And they didn't believe that. They're like, you don't look like a scientist or an engineer. And I'm like, what do they look like? So they had these um, predetermined stereotypes that they grow up with. You know, they watch that on TVs or shows and things like that. People tell them. So they get scared of science without even trying it out um, or just lose interest. And I feel like kids at the age of five to 12 year old, like the, that range, um, they're very curious and they really want to find out why is that happening? They question a lot. And after that, they sort of become very narrow-minded and just not question a lot of things. So I, I saw that and I was like, this is quite sad, you know, got to do something about this so that these kids still want to learn science. And because if we don't have these kids learning science now, we won't even have leaders in the future. Like science will die out. There won't be any innovation or creation anywhere. Um so then I created Science Box and the whole idea was to show kids that science is accessible. Um, it's easy. You don't need a lab to do like do science, to learn general science, that you can do it at home, use like stuff in your pantry um, or just anywhere in your house. And also give um, patients, sorry, parents um, the opportunity to see that it, science doesn't have to be expensive. You don't have to buy a fancy science kit to te teach your kids science because a lot of parents can't afford that. Um, so I created this box. Literally, it's a box. And I remember all these little science experiments that I used to do 
when I was a little kid and I have a huge influence from my father. Like he used to make me like, here's a toaster, break it, you know, play around with it. It's fine. Um, fix it. And I, I could never fix it, but you know, I can break it. So like all that influence. And um, so I got that box. I created these 10 science challenges. And the reason I created challenges or in, instead of like, you know, me being the scientist and going to a school and being like, Hey, I'm the scientist. Let me show you some science experiments. I wanted kids to be the scientist for that hour of the workshop that I do with them. So I created these challenges where I give them a task. I don't give them a method, just a one line task saying, for example, for little kids, I do this. I tell them to blow a balloon, but they can't use their mouth or an air pump. And the only thing I give them is um, vinegar and baking soda and a bottle. So now they have to think, how can I blow this balloon? You know, um, so like that, I have multiple challenges that I give um, groups um, in a classroom and then they solve the challenge. Once they solve it, they then tell me their scientific theory as to why it's happening. And then I sort of lead them to the right direction in simple terms as to why it's happening. And then one last bit that I do is I connect that little science experiment that they did um, in class to like something that happens in the outside world related to that. And I find kids don't have that association. They find that science is science in the lab, but around the world, it's not science. I mean, the whole world is science, like technically. Um, so yeah, I connect that. And then the kids um, present their work to their peers and show that, hey, this was our challenge. This is what we did, how we did it and why it happened. So it's like a whole package of hour and a half where we just take it to schools and, um, just trying to encourage kids to get into science and not feel scared about it, basically. Yeah. I must say, I really admire your dedication. And I think it's really important what you're doing um, to show that kids, uh, to show kids that STEM fields are really important and there can be diversity in STEM. It's not that oh, it's particular 100%. that it's only men. Or, because I know in TV shows, when even when I was um, younger and I used to watch cartoons, I used to see the men, like uh, it was stereotypical, like the men were, uh, in the science labs and they were wearing the coats and, they were, and women were not doing anything in the STEM field. So now I think it's important to show girls and even young boys that it is important to uh, get into yeah. these fields. It helps you to uh, improve your critical thinking skills as well. Exactly. And it's all about, you know, solving a problem, solving a task, because a lot of times, you know, like I, I saw all these organizations, I mean, New Zealand's really good in promoting STEM, um, but I see all these organizations, you know, presenting science where they actually do road shows and they go to like schools and present this amazing shows and all this like crazy stuff. But then that's just it. You know, those kids can't go home and replicate the things that they see in the show, you know, and there's always this hierarchy that scientists are up there and kids are here. So I want to sort of bridge, bridge that gap. So when I do my workshops, I, I honestly, I don't even work. I do nothing. I just stand there and watch them do whatever they're doing. Hence why the whole idea of not spoon feeding them and giving them, here, here you go, there's a method, follow it and do the work. You know, it was more of like, think why it happens. Why do you think it happens? Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really simple concept, but it's really effective. And it, and it works in, um, in different areas. I tried this concept with one of my friends in Kenya with some girls, um, around 50 girls that live in the slums. So like they can... It's accessible to them. So just imagine how accessible it can be. Um, and they have very limited resources and we can teach them science. So um, yeah, I 
it, it's it's my it's my brainchild and um, it's growing slowly. Um, definitely can't do a lot because I have to have my PhD as well on the other side. Um, but I have a really good team. I'm blessed with a really good team that work here. And then I do a lot of managing from um, Australia when I'm over there. That's really great. And I really love what you're doing to um, help kids and even what you did in Kenya. That's really amazing. But yeah. uh, that's it for today. Uh, this was a really interesting discussion. I'm sure even the audience enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, to let all of you, thank you, and to let all of you know, the podcast is now available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Radio Public, Baker, and Pocketcast. Make sure you subscribe to all listening and watching platforms. Thank you so much. Do you want to say anything before we log off? No, I'm good. Thank you for having me. It was great having a chat. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye.